Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamdulillahi na'maduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdihu وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا فَمَنْ يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ ثُمَّ أَمَّا بَعْدُ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ We're reading Imam Ghazali's book uh, Ya Ayyuhal Walad or Dear Beloved Son which was a book that he, it was actually um, redacted, not redacted, but it was, uh, you know, um, adapted into a book. It was actually a letter that Imam Ghazali wrote an advanced student who after all of this study, all of this memorization, the mastery he had attained of all of this outward knowledge of Islam he asked Imam Ghazali pointedly, can you summarize for me the knowledge that will really bring me benefit? What was I supposed to have derived from all of this study, all of this learning, all of this memorization? And as Umair also mentioned, we're about three quarters through the book. So we're actually coming to the end of this book. But we arrived last week to the section in which Imam Ghazali and I, I prefaced my remarks last week by saying this might be controversial to some people because Imam Ghazali was talking about, you know, um, selecting a spiritual role model. But there are some things you just can't work There are some things you must see simplified in people in order to know, right? There are some things that if you have never seen anyone treat their family in this way, if you've never seen anyone regard their children in this way, if you've never seen anyone worship Allah in this way, then maybe something of your ability to teach that to someone else might be lacking. They say, what? You cannot give what you don't have, right? You cannot lead where you don't go, right? So how can I lead somewhere, lead people somewhere that people that, that no one has taken me there, right? So you wanna have someone that understand what it means to be a student. So maybe they will understand what it means to be a teacher, right? I find that both good teachers and bad teachers are usually the result of good teachers and bad teachers. People that respect other people, respect your individuality. They treat you like you have agency. They understand that you are not vicariously living through them. They understand that in your position as a student, there's a certain measure of empowerment that you should feel these are usually people that they themselves were taught in that way. But if you're following someone who they have never benefited from that kind of instruction, 
it might be difficult for them to give that kind of instruction. He said, وَكَانَ مُحْسِنًا رِيَاضَةَ نَفْسِهِ مِنْ قِلَّةِ الْأَكْلِ وَالشُرْبِ And you find that this is a person of spiritual excellence. وَكَانَ مُحْسِنًا This is a person of spiritual excellence. You know, in the famous hadith of Jibreel, alayhi salam, a man comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this man had striking white clothes and had very dark hair. And he sat next to the Prophet alayhi wasallam, knee to knee. So they're sitting in a very close position. He took his hands, placed them on the thighs of the Prophet alayhi wasallam, and he said, Ya Muhammad. As soon as he said that, everybody listened intently because this was not their custom. They usually said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of God. Ya Nabi Allah, O Prophet of God. Only people in Ahlul Bayt, only people in the family of the Prophet said, Ya Muhammad. This is what Abbas would say, Muhammad. Right? Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, he would say, Muhammad. Right, Ali, he never said Muhammad. He always said Rasulullah. It was usually people in the family of the Prophet that were older than him. They would just say Muhammad. Because it's, it's almost like, and even in that you see, look, you may be God's final messenger and the best of creation. You're still my nephew. Right, Hamza is not saying, Ya Rasulullah, Muhammad. I know who you are, but you're still my nephew. Right, Abbas, Muhammad. So when they heard this visitor say Muhammad, they were like, yo, who is he? He's not somebody who addresses the prophet in this way. He just said, Muhammad, who, who is this? And he said, what is Islam? The prophet gives him the five pillars of Islam. What is Iman? What is faith? The prophet says to believe in Allah, to believe in his angels, to believe in his messengers, to believe in scripture, to believe in the day of judgment, and to believe in divine predestination. It's good and it's bad, right? The visitor said, you've spoken the truth. They're like, yo, yo, hold on. Who can ask the prophet a question and then confirm, yeah, that's true. Yo, this is, this is getting real, this is getting weird. So then he says, what is ihsan? What is spiritual excellence? What does it mean to be excellent in your spiritual pursuits? He says, It is to worship God as though you are looking at him. This is what spiritual excellence is. That you are worshiping God like you are looking at God. And even if you can't see God, spiritual excellence is knowing that God sees you in all of your moments, your highs, your lows, your triumphs, your struggles, God sees you. And if we can realize that meaning in our lives, God is always witness to our behavior. We will be spiritually excellent. So Imam Ghazali says, you want a teacher, a woman, a man, who in their behavior, you see that they recognize the presence of God. And then he says, he, someone who contents herself 
contents himself with little, not eating a lot. Four things he mentions that you want to follow someone that takes uh, a minimal amount or uses a minimal amount of these. The first thing he mentioned is food. I was listening to NPR and I heard something. And you know, the Prophet والسلام, he said, he said, wisdom is the lost property of the believer. Wherever she finds it, she claims ownership of it. So if we hear something that is not from our religious tradition, right? Meaning we don't, it, it's not a hadith, it's not a verse of the Quran, but it's something wise, know that you're entitled to that thing. If it's something wise, if it's something beneficial, it's yours, right? Everything the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was true, but he did not say everything that's true. Other people have also said truth. I'm listening to NPR, I'm driving down the street, and this um, commentator, she said, if you look at the way most people eat, the way they eat is probably identical to the way they spend money. The subhanAllah, right? That your eating habits and your spending habits are probably identical. Because in a sense, they represent the same thing, right? They represent gratification, right? So if you're someone who is careful about what you eat, you're probably careful about what you spend. If you're someone who eats whatever you want and then goes to the gym and tries to burn it off, you're probably someone who spends very big and then works overtime to make the money. You see, your spending habits are probably reflective of your eating habits, right? If you're someone who binges, you're probably someone that goes on spending sprees. Right, you, um, just right. So here, I don't want you to think about any particular regime, right? Everyone has a different appetite, but I want you to think about how somebody engages food as a means to contentment, a means to enjoyment, a means to fulfillment, a means to comfort. Imam Ghazali said that eating, Getting to a point of satiety, like I've had enough. You know, when you're eating and you're like, okay, I, I, I think I've, I've, I've eaten enough. When the food was really good though, he said, pulling my hand back from the dish was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. And he said, if you can learn to do that, you can learn to control yourself with regard to everything. When you're eating something that's really good and there's some more left and you can say, you know what? I think I've had enough. You are halfway toward self-mastery, right? Someone that eats gluttonously, right? They eat just, they have a ways to go. This is one of the wisdoms of fasting. One of the wisdoms of fasting 
is that learning to control our consumption is a means to learning to control ourselves. This is why we fast, right? If you can learn the time is not right for me to eat, then you can learn that is not correct for me to say, that is not correct for me to do, right? The Imam mentions drinking in the same vein. Then he mentions something that definitely takes me out of the running to be such a spiritual exemplar, cold speaking. Someone that you can learn from their silence like you learn from their speech, right? Someone that engages intentionally in silence sometimes. You know, in another place, Imam Ghazali, he said, if you want to discipline your tongue, disciplining your tongue is simple. When your ego wants to speak, learn to be quiet. And when your ego wants to be quiet, learn to speak. Now, I'll give you an example of both. When your ego wants to speak is when all of us want to say, what? Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Check me out. Look at what I'm doing. Learn to be quiet. But when you see an injustice, you see someone being mistreated, your ego wants to be quiet about it. And just don't rock the boat. Don't make a scene. Just, just, just keep things cool. I mean, just allow things to remain comfortable. Don't, you know, you don't have to say anything about this. This is when you have to train yourself. No, speak. Um, excuse me, I'm a patron here at the restaurant and, you know, um, if I weren't dining, maybe this wouldn't be my business, but the way I just heard you speak to your employee, and this is, I mean, we're Muslims, that's not, I don't know what the circumstantial scenario is because I'm just eating here, but under no circumstance, and I'm saying this as a patron at your restaurant, under no circumstance do I think it be do I think it acceptable for you to speak to your employee like that. I don't, I don't want to say that. I just want to eat my food and mind my business. This is disciplining the tongue. I really don't want to say anything about this, man. I would prefer just to mind my business, but I have to say something about it. So Imam Ghazali says, you want to choose someone that, you know, is not merely in love with their own voice. You know, uh, one of the craziest things in my life happened to me when I was riding the 352, which was a bus that ran from Chicago Heights to 95th Street. That's a long bus ride, man. You know, when I um, first embraced Islam, I was in high school and I used to, you know, uh, take the bus. Uh, whenever we didn't have school, I would take the bus to Juma on 53rd Street. So I would take the bus, then take the train. And one day, I was sitting on the train. I was sitting on the bus on 352, making conversation with just a stranger. And he said what I even now think is one of the strangest admissions I have ever heard of. He said, you know, man, a lot of people say I talk too much. And I was actually looking at him like, Dag, man, you've been talking a whole bus ride. Right? He just, 
And maybe he could, he could sense that I was, you know, growing disinterested in the conversation. He said, you know, a lot of people say I talk too much. And he looked at me and said, you know, half the time, I don't even be talking about nothing. <laughs> he said, tell you the truth, <laughs> I just like hearing my own voice. <laughs> he, said, he said, tell you the truth, I just like hearing my own voice, man. I looked at him, I said, yeah, you just said that like that. You just, you just came out and just said that. He was like, I know it, I know it. You remember what Zali is saying? You don't want to choose that guy unless he's worked on that. You don't want to choose him as your spiritual role model. Somebody that says, man, I just like hearing my own voice. I just like talking. One of the more substantive um, points about someone who talks a lot is that they don't know how to listen, right? How can somebody be a good instructor if the only thing they do is talk in your presence? You come to them, they have ayat, they have hadith, they have story after story. You can't get a word in edgewise. You're like, I, 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 he's giving you 75 minutes of stories and what you wanted to say was, the issue that you were advising me about my wife and I, we worked it out. Why, why didn't you tell me? Because once you started telling stories, that was, that was 75 minutes ago. You didn't even give me an opportunity to speak. And I've seen this. People, they come, they sit down. Can you help me with something? Well, first, let me tell you about the situation. Before you can even tell them, SubhanAllah, you know what this reminds me of? The hadith of the Prophet They've been talking for the last 50 minutes. And you don't want to tell them you're actually, you're actually misunderstanding what I, was, what I was attempting to say. You don't want someone that just speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks. A good teacher should also know how to listen so that they can direct their counsel effectively. And then he says, one know me, not someone that sleeps excessively. Now, Everyone knows how much sleep they need. Some people sleep eight hours, some people sleep 10, some people sleep five, four. What I think is being indicated here is not how much the person sleeps, but that this is someone that uses the night for worship. And if they know they need 10 hours, because I've met some very good Muslim sisters, Muslim brothers that worship at night, but they have to get their eight hours. They have to get their 10 hours. Like if I don't get my 10 hours, I'm worthless. What this means, however, is that they go to bed earlier, right? Maybe they don't spend a lot of time after Isha. It's like they pray Isha, maybe, you know, a little socializing. Yo, man, I gotta get to bed by 1030. Cause I, you know, I gotta, I gotta get up, do some praying, try to read from the Mus'haf. Right? Other people, you will notice that they sleep very little. You know, I'm not, I know I'm not one of the people that Imam Ghazali is describing here, but just one of my peculiar, peculiar habits, idiosyncrasies, I sleep very little. I, I probably sleep four hours, maybe five the most, right? Which gets on my wife's last nerve. Because I'm always getting out of bed early. I'm just, I sleep very, very little. 
And um, I know when that started. I was attending a madrasa. And most of the older students, they slept very little. The teachers, they slept very little. And it just became kind of a habit of, of mine. But I don't want you to think about this council of Ghazali as being like, you know, if you're going to take someone as a teacher, how many hours you sleep a night? About eight. Well, you can't be my teacher. <laughs> how many hours you sleep? Eight, nine hours. Okay, then you, you, can't, you can't be my teacher. No, but that the person uses the night for worship, right? Then he says, and the person is prayerful, charitable, and they are given to fasting. Those three things. That the person is prayerful, the person is given to charity, right? They're charitable, and they fast regularly. Right? They engage in intentional self-denial. But the first thing he says, salati, that the person is prayerful. Right? There is no substitute for a person being a prayerful person. There's no substitute for that. There's no substitute for a person being a person of charity, a person of generosity. The Prophet said, burhan. Your charitable giving is a proof of what kind of person you are. Your charitable giving is a proof of what kind of person you are. Because it is very easy for us to talk theoretically about what it means to love the world or not love the world. You know what proof is when you talk about loving the world? Your ability to give. It's not about, and that's why I say, I know people that are very wealthy, but I don't think that you can legitimately charge them with hubbid dunya, loving the dunya. Why? Because they can give very easily. See, someone that loves the world, they can't give. Giving is a challenge for them, right? And it's mostly, I've observed, it's mostly because they don't acknowledge that they were given to. Allah says in Surah Al-Layl, As for the one that is stingy and deems himself self-sufficient. Imam Fawdayd Rame, he said, the connection between these two, only the person who believes everything I have, I earned it myself. This is the only kind of person that's stingy. Because if you recognize everything I have, someone gave it to me whether it was my clients, whether it was the people that patronized my business, whether it was my teachers who taught me a trade with which I made money, whether it was someone I inherited from, whether it was the person that flew the plane to get me to the destination so that I could do the deal, or the person that paved the streets for me to drive on them to get to my place of business or my place of employment. Somebody had to give me something in order for me to succeed. Right? There is no one that is entirely self-made. It's impossible. Whenever someone says, I'm self-made, I say, what did you do? I started with nothing. I opened a business. I said, so your clients, right? Your customers, they made you. They decided to patronize your business. 
They shopped with you. They gave you their hard-earned money. They didn't have to. So what do you mean you made yourself? No, you gave them a good product, but you still should be appreciative of the fact that they decided to shop with you. They decided to choose you as their service provider, et cetera. Nobody makes himself. Once you know that, it's very easy for you to be a blessing in the lives of other people. That's why I love when they say, don't pay it back, pay it forward. Don't pay it back, pay it forward, man. Right? I gave to you, don't give it back to me. If you find somebody else in need, like you were in need, you give it to them. Right? That's what they mean. Don't pay it back, pay it forward. Next time, it'll be you on the giving end. Somebody else on the receiving end. And don't look down on them in the same way that I'm not looking down on you. I'm giving to you and I totally understand that tables could be turned and you could be giving to me. <laughs> Given the economy, tables might be turned very soon and you might be giving to me, <laughs> right? But people who don't acknowledge that give and take that is always a part of life, they wind up very stingy. Give, give somebody else. Why? Why would I give somebody else? Who gave me anything? I took care. I, I got it out the mud. I got it myself. You better get it like I got it. Somebody who acknowledges everything I have, people have given to me. You know, I'll, I'll end the first part of the class with this. I usually don't eavesdrop. I'm not an eavesdropper, right? The Prophet he said, From the beauty of a person's Islam is leaving things that don't concern them. So I don't, you know, what we used to call ear hustle. I don't, but one time I was walking down the street and there was a guy coming past me on the telephone. He said something that was so profound that I was like, as I was walking away, like, oh, I'm definitely using that. He said, you gotta understand, failure is an orphan, but success has a thousand mothers, right? He said, failure is an orphan. Usually when somebody fails at something, it's because they've been abandoned and left to fail. But when someone succeeds at something, that success has been nurtured by many different people. Many people have nurtured that success. He's been mentored, the person has been supported, etc. He said, failure is an orphan, but success has a thousand mothers. So if a person is charitable, it's usually because they recognize that their success has had a thousand mothers, man. I wouldn't be successful without people helping me. So it's very easy for me to help other people. You want to identify that quality in people that you're choosing as spiritual role models, spiritual mentors, spiritual teachers. So he continues um, saying, وَكَانَ بِمُتَابَعَةِ الشَّيْخِ الْبَصِيرِ جَاعِلًا مَحَاسِنًا أَخْلَاقِ لَهُ He said, and through following a teacher, through having a teacher, the aim is to make good character something habitual. This is what the aim is. The aim is not um, to brag and boast about 
the private sessions that one has access to or to brag and boast about one's nearness to this person. The goal is to make good character something habitual for you, man. And um, in that regard, I think it's important that we remind ourselves of what character is. You know, character, your character is made up of those things about you that don't change according to circumstance, right? Those things about you that they are so much a part of who you are that it would make no difference if you are in a crowd of people or alone, if you are rich or poor, if you are in a situation that is advantageous or disadvantageous, if you are at home or abroad, if with Muslim company, non-Muslim company, this is a part of your character. And then he goes through, what are some of the traits of character that we want to try to make a part of our lives? He said, one, patience, right? Patience, that this person has learned from their teacher, patience, and that you can learn from them, patience. The other thing is gratitude. You know, when you look at descriptions of the Prophet وسلم, he is always described as being a very grateful person, that he never belittled any gift that was given to him that every blessing that he was afforded by God, he acknowledged and he thanked God for that blessing to the extent possible, right? That you want someone that is not ungrateful. You want someone that is appreciative because in being grateful and being appreciative, you know that an individual is not entitled. So the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. When you think people are supposed to do this for me, I'm supposed to have this thing. No, people who acknowledge everything I have is a sign of God's favor upon me. They give thanks for what they have. Allah says in the Quran, Right? We don't have a prosperity gospel. We don't have a prosperity gospel. But the closest thing you have to a prosperity gospel is this verse of the Quran. Where he says, Allahu Akbar, alaykum Allah says, If you give thanks for what you have, God promises you, he will increase you in what you have. If you give thanks for what you have, even if it strikes some people as meager, it strikes some people as small. If you give thanks for your job, you will get promoted. If you give thanks for your resources, you will get more. If you give thanks for your car, you will get a better car, a newer car, if that is what you want. If you give thanks for what you have, God promises you. And there's emphasis in this. This is for taqeed. God will certainly give you more. The explanation of this is that if you give thanks for what you have, 
This is proof that what you have has been good for you because you've given thanks for it. And that in God's mercy, God wants to give you more that you can give thanks for. But if you have not given thanks for what you have or you're ungrateful for what you have, it is from God's mercy that God does not give you more to be ungrateful for. If I've given you this and you, you're ungrateful for this, you haven't shown gratitude for this, why would I give you more to show ungratitude about? Right? He says, Watawakuli, learning to rely upon God. This is someone that has learned to rely upon God. And I'm going to um, spin this a little bit. A person that knows Tawakul, that knows reliance upon God, this is a fearless woman, a fearless man. You see? And I'm, I don't mean, of course, I don't mean fearless in the sense of not fearing God, but a person that relies on God, the things that happen in this world ultimately don't shake them because their reliance is not ultimately upon the stock market. They're not ultimately relying upon what's happen happening in the crypto market. Doesn't mean that they don't invest in crypto or invest in stocks, but you will find that that is not where their reliance is, right? This is not the kind of person that reads the journal and says, oh my God, yes, maybe I'm concerned. Maybe I begin strategizing differently, but I'm calm because I know God is in control. Maybe everything this writer is saying about the economy, everything she's saying is true. And God will still be in control. Right? This is Tawakwil. <clears throat> Something that not a teacher of mine, but a friend of mine said to me. He said, if you want to see someone that is a person of reliance upon God, you have to look for people that are doing things that they regularly put themselves in positions where they have to rely upon God, right? <clears throat> There's a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ was said to have taught people Salat al-Istikhara, the prayer of decision-making, the way that he taught them chapters in the Qur'an. What does this tell you? that not even the messenger of God had all of the answers, that he was living spontaneously, he was living authentically, he was living honestly, that the prophet of God regularly came to situations in which he had to say, God, help me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. If you are a person that's afraid of being there, like everything has to be this pre-written script, if it's not, something that went according to plan, I just can't deal with it, then you're never going to learn what it really means to just rely on God. So you have to be someone, doesn't mean that you're reckless, right? Doesn't mean that you're reckless. Doesn't mean that you don't strategize. Doesn't mean that you don't plan effectively. What it does mean, however, is that you know that the outcome is in God's hand. And this, and this gives you some measure of confidence. Why did you do this? Okay, I'll make this simple. 
Make this simple. Anybody who gets married, anyone who is unafraid to marry understands Tawakwa. They understand what it is to rely on God. Because you know, I don't care how much I've studied this person. I don't care how much I've asked around and you know them, you know them. Ultimately, I am venturing into the unknown. I don't know, I, I'm venturing into the unknown. If you are a person who embraces tawakkul, you embrace relying on God, that does not scare you. See, I'm venturing into the unknown. Maybe everything this person wrote in their profile and everything that I've seen from them in this courting phase will turn out to be just an act. Maybe. It happens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It happens. Right. Everything I thought, a person that embraces reliance upon God, they're okay with that. I'm going to put my faith in God and move forward, right? Now, how much time is enough? I don't know. Some people are courting for months. Some people are courting for years. I don't know. But if your reliance is on God, then it probably won't take years. You'll see the things that are promising and say, okay, I'll put my faith in God. I'm ready to move forward. That's what he's talking about. Someone that knows that kind of tawakkul. I put my faith in God. I'm ready to move forward, right? I'm not afraid. Someone that has also learned from their teacher, yaqeen, or certainty, right? They have certainty in their faith. And it's important. Al-yaqeenu la yazulu bishak. Having certainty doesn't mean that doubt doesn't occur to a person you know, from time to time. Certainty is not removed by doubt, right? This is a, I'll teach you guys something that, you know, you might find of practical use. This is a qa'ida. This is like a foundational principle in Islamic law. Certainty is not removed by doubt. So if you're certain of something, that certainty is not changed because you doubt something. So I'll give you an example. If you are certain that you made wudu, like you're certain, I went in, I made wudu. You're in doubt about the fact that maybe you broke your wudu. Did I, wait, did I pass gas or did I, wait, did I go to the bathroom? You still have wudu. You see? Because your certainty is not removed by your doubt. See, you still have wudu. On the other hand, if you are certain that you broke your wudu, and then you doubt making wudu. I know I broke my wudu. Wait, I think, no, I, I, think I, I, think I, made, I think I made wudu. You don't have wudu. Because you're certain that you broke your wudu. See, certainty is not removed by doubt. It's not, it's not removed by doubt. But spiritually, this is also the case. If you're certain about God, the fact that occasionally a doubt occurs to your mind. What if, as long as you return to that initial state of certainty, you are mutayakpin, you're a person of certainty. What if, no, 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 no. I meant to be la. I meant to be lahi wa rasuli. I believe in God. No, 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 no. You're, you're still a person of certainty. 
right? Some people, when they hear about certainty, they think, if doubt has ever occurred to me, I don't have yakin, I don't have certainty. Like if they have ever doubted even once, what if all of this was just, they think I can never, no, no, you still have certainty. Okay? Your certainty is not removed by your doubt. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? He says, what's sakhawati? Sakhawa in Arabic is generosity, but it's sakhawa is more than karam. Karam is, you know, karam, karam is like um, generosity in times that demand generosity. So when relatives ask you for something, somebody in need comes to you and says, if you don't give me, I might not be able to pay my rent. The Kareem is the person who said, okay, I, let me help you out. Let me help you out. Um, people come to your home. You host them very generously. That's a Kareem, right? Even if, you know, there's not a lot in the bank account, you tell your family, uh, give me a list. I'm going to Trader Joe's to get something. We have people coming over. That's the Kareem. But Sakhawa is somebody who gives even when there's no occasion to give. Like they're looking for people to give to. That's Sakhawa. That's different than Karam. Karam is like, if the situation demands generosity, I meet the situation, I'm ready. Right? Somebody needs something, I'm here. Right? Someone is coming over, I host them generously. Sakhawa is when it's like, dude, I just, I just got a little bonus at work. Let me call Ted Leaf. Hey, is, does anybody need something? That's Sakhawa. Dude, I just, I just had this unexpected bump, you know, in my investment. Yo, you know anybody who, need, who needs anything? You know somebody that's, you see the difference? One is like the situation dictates you that you have to be generous. You meet it with your generosity. The other is like, yo, without any cause, I'm just like, yo, I didn't, I didn't expect this. You, you know anybody who needs any help? Right? He's saying you want to follow somebody that is generous without cause. They don't have a cause to be generous. They just wake up like that. Yo, man, you know somebody who needs, I mean, my little investment is doing better than I thought. You know somebody who needs something? You want to follow somebody like that. Right? That's Sakawa. He says, well, contentment. Not someone who complains. Kana'a, the opposite of kana'a is shakawa. Somebody who complains all the time. Kana'a is just, you know, one, one hadith of the Prophet Small hadith, you could probably just read right past it. They say he never complained about food. Nobody ever served him something and he said, ah, you left it in too long. Ah, you should have added this. You should have added that. Doesn't mean that, look, let me put you at ease. You go to a restaurant, you send the food back, that's okay. But I think it says something about the Prophet, he never did that. Whatever was served to him, he ate. He never said, I guess when you were in Abyssinia, they didn't teach you how to cook, huh? 
He never did that. Nobody ever presented him with a meal that he said, you invite the messenger of Allah to have dinner and you serve this? Man, I wouldn't give this to my chickens. Now, he never did. He never complained about food. He never complained about food. Here he's saying, you want to follow someone that has qana'ah. They're content. You know, there's a hadith of the Prophet والسلام, And I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is one of those hadith that we try our best to follow it as parents, but we all fall short of the glory of God. Anas, he said, I used to run errands for the Prophet And sometimes I would misbehave. Sometimes he would tell me to do things, I wouldn't do it. Sometimes he would tell me not to do things, I would do it. He said, but you know, he never said to me, why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? He never said to me the slightest word of disapproval. He never said, let me kulli off. He never even said off to me. The best explanation I ever read about this was that they said, because the prophet embraced everything that happened to him as the will of God, anything that happened, it was like, Right? Doesn't mean that you don't have to do it, but the fact that you didn't, it was the will of Allah. Why would I get angry about it? You know, one story, one of my favorite stories in the seerah. Anna said the prophet gave him an errand, told him, take this here, drop this off over here. He said that he took the package and as he was running the errand, he saw some of his friends playing tag. And he said that he said to himself, now this is the, the reasoning of a young kid. I am running an errand for God's last messenger. And my friends are playing tag. Mm, tag. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with the tag. And he says, so I'm out there playing tag. And he said, as we're playing, Everybody just froze. And he said, whatever they were looking at was behind me. They were all looking at me. He said, I turned, and it was the Prophet وسلم, smiling at me. Right? He said that he just took my chin, pointed it in the direction of the Aaron, like this. and let my chin go. I started to run the air and I looked back at him and he was laughing. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's the kind of person he was. This is qana'a. There's no like, why didn't you do this? Why did you do this? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this? Whatever happened, it happened the way Allah was, the way Allah decreed it to happen. Not everything happens the way I wanted it to. It's okay. Right, this is qana'a. A person that is content with what they have. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't strive. That doesn't mean that we don't correct wrongs. But we're not discontent with the fact that we have to correct this wrong. Right? If something is wrong, you don't leave it and say, oh, I'm content. No, no, I have to correct this, but I'm not angry. I'm not saying, man, why do I have to do this? 
I got I to gotta, I, I go up there and fix it, right? My roof springs a leak. I'm not going to say I'm content with the decree of Allah and let water just drip into my bedroom. It's the decree of Allah. But the fact that I have to get the phone out, call the contractor, he has to go up, repair the leak. Alhamdulillah. What can I say? Alhamdulillah. That's contentment. You guys understand the difference between those two? It's not like the water is coming in and his wife is looking. Aren't you going to do something? No, today Ustazo Bey was talking about contentment. I'm content. This is what Allah decreed, this leak. So, no, no. I'm going to get the telephone out. But as I get the phone out, as I call my contractor, as we go up on the roof and we look at it, I don't resent have to have I don't resent the fact that I have to do any of this. It's just what I had to do. Right? I'm not I'm not upset that I had to do it. It's just what I had to do. Right? That's contentment. Right? He says what tomatnina tenafs. this is a big one. Somebody who is at peace with himself. Somebody at peace with herself. I think now we say being comfortable in your own skin. Somebody who is at peace with themselves, right? You don't, you don't sense from them this, this deep agitation with who they are. That there's some unrealized ambition that they're, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with who I am. Even if being at peace I'm working to establish my business or I'm working to finish my PhD or I'm trying to get in shape. I'm at peace as I'm doing it. You see, same thing. It doesn't mean like I'm at peace with myself so I'm not trying to improve. No, I'm at peace with the fact that I'm trying to improve. Right? I'm not, I'm not you know, I was um, talking to one of my teachers and I was asking him for spiritual advice. And he said, best advice I can give you, Ubaid, stop being so defensive, right? When your wife tells you you need to improve on something, just say, Bismillah. Don't say, but, but look at you. <laughs> you talking about me, what about you, right? Be at peace with the fact that you are a work in progress. That's tomatnina tanafs. Be at peace with that. Like, you know what? I am working to control my temper. I'm at peace with it. It is something I need to work on. I do need to work on being more generous. Right? Doesn't, being at peace with yourself doesn't mean you're, you're not striving. It just means you're, you're at peace with the fact that you're striving. You know what? There are some things I need to work on. And I'm working on them. But I'm at peace. I'm, happy. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? Um, last thing I'll say about this that he said to me that just resonated. He said, when people become defensive at criticism, it's like we, we wanna ask them, before you heard this criticism, did you believe that you were perfect? Did you actually think that you were perfect? So a person pointing out to you a flaw, a weakness, should be confirmation of what you know about yourself. It's like, you know, 
You need to work on your temper. <gasps> yeah, I do. I do. You know, um, he said, uh, you know, funny thing is when people compliment us, we never invalidate their compliments. You know, man, you know, you're a very thoughtful person. You don't even know me. <laughs> we, we never say that. You know, I mean, you're a very thoughtful person. How, how do you know? No, we just say what? Thank you. Thank you. If we were truly aware spiritually, when people constructively, not cutting us down, but when they constructively pointed out our weaknesses, we would also say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.